good morning. It is good to be in the house of God. I, I hope you did have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving with your families. I hope you didn't overeat like I did. How many overate? Who's willing to admit it? This is, come on, this is church. You can be honest here. All right, a few honest people. Man, I tell you what, listen to this. The, the number of turkeys we consumed on Thursday. Check this out. You ready? Over 50 million turkeys went down this past Thursday. Whoo, that's a bad day to be a turkey, isn't it? Total U.S. spending on the Thanksgiving dinner food. Watch this. $2,875,000,000. That's a lot of stuffing, isn't it? And of course, that's got to include pumpkin pie. How many are pumpkin pie lovers in the crowd today? In the house. Come on, pumpkin pie. Yeah. Pumpkin pie. And you guys will love this. This is your dream right here then. Guinness Book of World Records, October 8, 2005. The Pumpkin Growers of Ohio baked a pumpkin pie that was 12 feet wide in diameter and weighed over 2,000 pounds. Now that's what I'm talking about right? That, that, that's not just a pie you can sink your teeth into. You can dive into that one, swim around, eat it up. That's a pumpkin lover's dream right there. <laughs> well, again, good morning. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, as Pastor Brad said, and privileged this morning to share in God's Word with you. This morning, I believe we're going to be, be blessed. It's all about Him. And, you know, as I was thinking about Thanksgiving, I love Thanksgiving. I was thinking about the table, the Thanksgiving table, in, in all of its glory. It, it, the, the decorations, the fall colors and themes, all the foods, the rich comfort foods that we all come to love. Now, sh- you guys might not be wanting to see that for a long time, right? Some of you are still eating the leftovers. I get it. But you know, there's something special about that table. There's something unique about it. It's a table that just kind of has this warmth and this glow about it. It, it. It's a table that speaks of bounty and provision. It's, it's even a looking at a picture like that gives this kind of a warm feeling inside, doesn't it? Just that everything's going to be okay. All our needs are going to be met here. And as I thought about it this morning, I want to suggest to you this morning that there's a table of God. There's a table of bounty from God, and it's God's provision. It only comes from Him, and it's good news for the weary traveler in life. It's good news for those that are hungry. It's this amazing table of God's provision, and it's for us. It's for the world. And yet sometimes I want to acknowledge that, you know, as believers, we don't always maybe experience that or or feel like that. You know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and I know we're truly thankful. We are truly blessed. But there's some times where we feel in life that things are kind of hard right now. And we know that when we come to Christ, it's not going to be easy street. You know, God doesn't just wave a magic wand over our lives, and we become rich. All of a sudden, um, you know, life is just easy, and we live on easy street. But then there's times where we come, and there's these gaps or these lacks in our life, and we wonder where God is. What is happening right now? We wonder, where's that table of provision in my life? I want to encourage you today. 
I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament. It's about four men who are in a very difficult place in their life. They're literally in this land of lack. And I believe they would echo that question this morning. Where is God right now? It's found in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can pull those out. We'll also put some uh, verses on the screens this morning. But the story starts really in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. And I'm not going to read from there yet. I just want to give you a little of the backstory first. Because it says that the king of, of Syria came up against the nation of Israel. This is the ancient Syria, um, otherwise sometimes known as Aram. Some of your Bibles might translate it in that way. But it was north, northeast of Israel. Uh, it's real close to the, where the modern border of Syria is today. Except it was a much larger border, and the people group is different from the people that are there today. And the text says that the king of Syria made war with Israel's northern kingdom of Samaria, and they put a siege on them. And what they did was they blocked the supplies going into Samaria. They literally were starving the people out. Food was scarce. It was incredibly expensive. The, the scripture says that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. It was really bad. This raging famine, and people were panicking. People were doing irrational things. Some people says even turned to cannibalism. That's how bad things were. And that's the place in the space where our story picks up this morning. So in the midst of this, we're introduced to these four Jewish lepers. Picking up the story in 2 Kings 7 verse 3. It says this. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. This is the city gate. And they said to one another... Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go to the camp of the Syrians, and if they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. Now, you know, in many ways, these were dead men already. Leprosy was a deadly disease. It was a bacterial disease that destroyed your uh, nervous system. It gave you horrible infections. You'd have skin lesions all over your body. You couldn't feel things. It was extremely contagious. Most uh, versions of it were uncurable, so it led to death. It was kind of an AIDS epidemic of the day. And so people were separated and quarantined into camps outside of the city. And they, all they knew were other lepers. Their society was made up of people like themselves. And this meant that husbands would never see their wives again. It meant that children would never, never see their father or their mother again, brothers and sisters. It was this forever separation from anyone and everyone they ever knew or ever loved. Add to that the physical pain and the suffering and the death around them every day. And add to that, there's a famine and there's a war. And that's the picture that we're in in this story. And so here's these lepers that just simply say, what have we got to lose, guys? We either stay here and we die, or we go over to the camp of the enemy and we die. Maybe we'll live. And so they get this bold courage and they rise up and probably for the very first time in a long time, they venture out of their confinement to find a world that would have been beautiful normally and familiar, but, but it's not so beautiful now, and it's not familiar. 
They pass people in the streets that are weeping over their losses and their loved ones. They pass people in the street that are smashing in windows and stealing stuff just to survive. They see two people in the street arguing over a small loaf of bread, willing to die for it. It's a different world than the one that they remembered. There's nothing plentiful about that world anymore. It's all lack everywhere. And you know, not quite, maybe perhaps in the same way, but sometimes lack comes into our life. There's troubles, there's problems. You know, we're in a lack right now in California. We're in a state of drought. We're in our fourth year of a severe drought. And last year, as you probably know, our governor declared a drought state of emergency. And you've seen the lakes, right? Have you guys seen the lakes? How many have seen the lakes? How low they are? I mean, here's a picture of, this is Lake Oroville, which is north of Sacramento, just southeast of, of Chico. 2011, it looked like that. 2014, just three years. That's not even a current picture. Devastating. And Jesus says, you know what? There will be trouble in this life. There will be drought days. Life will just kind of dish up sometimes some drought days in our life. It might be a drought in your job or career. It might be a drought in your marriage, in your health, or in your finances. But I want to encourage you, church, this morning to hold on. If that's where you're at, hold on. Because you know what our God is? He's the God of the El Nino. He holds El Nino in his hand. And you know what else he holds? He holds your hand as well. Hold on to God, because God is at work. And how many know when God is at work, things can change. And even some strange things can happen. Check this out in verse 5. Let's read on. It says, The lepers arose at twilight, and they go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord, oh, that's good right there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses the sound of a great army. And so they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight, and they abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was. They fled for their lives. These guys bolted. And then, you know, you read something like that, and it's kind of one of those what I call wait-a-minute moments in Scripture. Did I just read that right? Did this just happen? You know, an entire army leaves the scene because of something they heard. Sounds from a Dolby Digital, heavenly IMAX sound system of God. You'd run too. But you know, when God gets involved, church, some strange things can start to happen. This was not what the lepers were expecting. Think about it. I'm sure they were just mortified and terrified as they walked down into camp. They were probably rehearsing the speech they were going to give. They were imagining what it was going to be like, the threat that they were going to be facing, that they might just die. The best they could hope for is that they would be prisoners of war. But thank God, God has a better first and a better best in mind for us than even we do. So they walk right into this amazing spread, this buffet of, of bounty. I mean, we're talking multiple, I don't know how many tents bulging with food and wine and silver and gold and animals and supplies. 
Wow. Wow. And I, I get excited about this because what a time as a country, as a people, as a church, that we need to know we are not alone. That, that our God, Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us. In fact, he's going before us. And he promises never to leave us nor forsake us. And he'll provide for us. Amen? That's the God that we serve. And if you have your bulletins this morning, there's an outline in there. And I've got five points that I want to just share with you and take you through out of this story, that I get out of this story this morning. Number one is this. God is our great provider. God is our great provider. I thought of naming that God is our provider, but you know what? God is our great provider. See, it's not your paycheck. It's not your boss, and, and praise God for those, but it's not that. It's not your investments and your 401k plan. It's not your college education. Those are good things, but it's God. It's God who provides. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours. Maybe just pause there for a minute and just let that sink in this morning. My God will supply every need of yours. Are you hearing that this morning? Is that for you? Your God will supply every need of yours. Some of us need to hear that this morning according to his riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, one of my favorite names for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh, which means our provider. It's what uh, Abraham called the place where God met him at the top of Mount Moriah. Pastor Brad shared about that last, last Sunday when he was about to take the life of his only son, Isaac, and God stopped him, and he provided a ram, a, a substitutionary sacrifice instead of his only son, which was really a foreshadow of Christ's sacrifice, a substitutionary death for us and for our sins. And Abraham named that place, Scripture says, the Lord will provide. Notice he didn't name it, the Lord did provide. He named it, the Lord will provide. He memorialized the past event with a future tense, the Lord will provide. And I thought about that, and I thought about, you know, what if we did that? What if we did that? You say, what are you you talking about, Derek? What if we memorialized those events in our life and we went back in our minds and remembered how God clearly showed up in our lives and supplied his grace and supplied his provision for us? And we named those times the Lord will provide. We just memorialized those moments in our life where he saved your marriage. You know, he healed you of your sickness. He gave you peace in the storm, a gift came in right when the money was running out. And we named those moments the Lord will provide. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, God's speaking to the Jewish nation here, but he's speaking to us as well. He says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And that's the heartbeat of God. God longs to bless us. And it's so reassuring this morning, isn't it? As as we head into the holidays, into Christmas, 
It's kind of a busy and a stressful time of year. And as we think about 2016, what a reassurance that God is for us. And that, folks, he's even working behind the scenes of our lives to accomplish his good and his glory. And he simply says this, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Because the Lord will provide. The second point I want to give you this morning is this. God loves to deliver out of desperate situations. God loves to deliver out of desperate situations. Why? Why does God love that? Because he likes to see us in pain? No. No, God doesn't author pain. But a desperate situation is a place for God's glory to shine the brightest. I want to tell you a little bit about a personal story of ours and a desperate time that we went through as a family. Uh, I don't have the time this morning to give you the kind of the fuller story, uh, but it happened to us a number of years, years ago in 2004. You may, have, you may have heard it. You may have read about it. It's a story we call Katie's story because it's about one of our daughters. Her name is Katie. And uh, she was, uh, she's one of four daughters. That's right. I did say four daughters. You heard it, right? And um, she was born a normal baby, healthy baby. But in about two and a half months, at a two and a half months old, she um, got sick. And, you know, we just thought nothing of it, just a normal cold, some coughing. And so we took her into the doctor, and they checked and said, yep, you know, just, just cold, just let it run its course and, you know, keep, keep an eye on her. So we did all those things. But she got worse, you know, and the cough got worse. And so we took her back, and, and they said, you know, we probably should keep her here. And she got a fever, and her... Her heart rate was spiking, and, and they tested her, and she tested positive for whooping cough, pertussis, and RSV, which is a respiratory virus. And so they transferred us to a pediatric ICU in Sacramento, and we went through several transfers and so forth, and it was just a difficult, difficult time. And people were praying for us. You guys, this church was praying for us. Many churches were praying for us. Friends that we know in various places Everybody was praying for us, and we felt that, that strength from the prayers of the saints. But Katie continued to get worse. They put her on a ventilator machine and induced a coma and put her on all these machines and, and medications. And we, she had tubes coming out of her. I mean, she looked like something from Star Wars. And, you know, we were... We weren't sure what God was doing. It was one of those, where are you, God, right now kind of moments in our life. But we just kept praying through. But she continued to get worse. And then finally, there was a day that the doctors pulled us into that office. I'll never forget it. And they said, listen, we have done everything we can. Katie's kidneys have failed, so she's on kidney dialysis. And the only thing left, really, is to put her on an artificial heart and lung machine because her heart is going through distress because the pneumonia that she developed is so thick that her heart can't push the blood through. So she's really struggling. As you can imagine, it was a very, very difficult and dark time. In fact, it was a Monday, I remember, and I called it Dark Monday because at that point, I, I was... We were both, but especially I was very heavy and, and 
but we went and we prayed at the chapel in this hospital and we just poured it out before the Lord and we decided that we were just going to give her to the Lord. And the Lord could raise her up or the Lord could take her. It's up to him. And so we didn't decide to go on the machine and, and I, I was really just beside myself and my wife and I were just trying to comfort each other and we had some good friends who called us and said, hey, we'd like to come and pray. And there's some, they, they do some traveling evangelism and they have a ministry where they've prayed and people have been healed. And so they, they called us, and, and I said, hey, man, just, it was late at night, and I said, maybe tomorrow. I'm really exhausted. We're exhausted tonight. Maybe you could come tomorrow. And he said, you know what? I feel like the Lord's telling me to come now. <laughs> I said, okay, come on down. Then. And they came, and they prayed. They prayed over Katie's blood. They prayed over Katie's lungs. They prayed over Katie's every organ in her body. They prayed over an hour. And I'll tell you something. Right then, I felt, and Krista felt, a release and just a burden lifted for us. I can't explain it. It was just like a peace. And we went to bed that night, and the next day, we woke up, and the nurse said, woke us up with this news, your daughter has a wet diaper. Now, normally, that's not good news. (laughs) But this was incredible news. This meant her kidneys had come back. And from then on, she began to regain health very slowly. She began to take a turn, and the doctor said, we can't explain it. We just can't explain it. Babies this sick don't recover like that. We... (laughs) Glory to God. She's a healthy... 10-year-old today. In fact, uh, in a couple weeks, she'll be turning 11, and she's healthy as can be. And you know, uh, you'll have to excuse me, I cry at movies. But the, uh, the thing, too, that really blessed me was my wife was teaching in a, in a school in Lodi, and the kids from her class came down to the parking lot, and they couldn't come up, so they just were in the parking lot, and they unraveled a sign that said, our God is awesome. And then they began to sing it. Our God is an awesome God. And you know, I just want to remind somebody here today that he's a supernatural God. Okay? And he hasn't changed. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to know that. You need to know that. Somebody here in this, in this auditorium needs to know that this morning. That he's more than enough for you. He is more than enough for you. You see, these lepers were totally helpless and hopeless. I mean, the odds were against them. In in human terms, they were goners. They were sick, diseased, alone, tormented, starving, rejected, abandoned. They were rock bottom. But here's the thing about rock bottom times in our life. That's the moment that God can show up and shine His glory the brightest. So may we never get the idea, church, that something's impossible with our God. Jesus settled this in Matthew 19, 26, when he was looking at the crowd, and he said, listen, guys, with man, these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? All things are possible. And you know, I thought about that, and I thought, I wish we had 
a stamp, you know, like this. A stamp with, with God, all things are possible. And we just stamp that on the things of life. We stamp that on the things that come against us. With God, all things are possible. And this week, can I give you a homework assignment? Go home this week and live out your week and stamp that declaration on whatever needs that in your life. Maybe it's on your finances. Maybe it's on your career, on your health, on your kids or your grandkids. Maybe it's on the search for a soulmate or your spouse. Maybe it's a habit or a sin or a hang-up in your life. With God, all things are possible. Amen? Whew. Because, you know, that's exactly what the lepers found out. Third point this morning is that God wants our faith to move our feet. You notice the lepers didn't stay stuck. They didn't stay where they were. They were stuck. In fact, an entire city of Samaria was stuck. Scripture even says the king was stuck. Everybody was stuck, but the, 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 the lepers decided it's time to do something. It's time to get moving. This could be the dumbest idea they ever had in their entire lives. It might have killed them, but they started to move. And it's interesting that the provision of God came when they took an action step. You know, if the lepers hadn't moved their feet, they wouldn't have come to the blessing of God. I always love the stories in, in, in Scripture. I love the story in the New Testament where Peter gets out of the boat to walk on the water. But you know what? Peter had to get his feet out of the boat to walk on the water. You know, the servants uh, at the wedding party in Cana, they had to go a long ways to fetch these huge, heavy jugs of water before Jesus turned it into the best wine they had ever tasted. Joshua and the Israelites, on their way into the Promised Land, they came to this massive river called the Jordan, and it was too deep to cross. And I'm sure that the Israelites began to think back to, to where God had, had parted the Red Sea for Moses. And God said, I'm going to do that for you, only I want the feet of the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to step into the water first. It says... In Joshua 3.13, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord over all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. See, oftentimes the pattern in Scripture is that when our faith starts to move our feet, God starts to put new ground under them. I love it. I, I, you've probably heard this before said as well, but God loves to step in when we step out. And that's why our mission statement here at First Baptist is helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. And for some of us, that's coming around here on Sunday mornings. Praise God for that. Keep stepping. Keep coming. For others of us, it's getting involved in the Bible study or maybe it's reading the Word in our personal devotion time for ourselves. You know, maybe it's talking to that friend or that coworker or that neighbor about Christ. Maybe it's handing out one of the, the um, invite cards to our church Christmas musical. Those are all steps. And maybe it's taking a step in your marriage to save it. Maybe it's taking a new step in your career. Maybe it's taking a stand for Jesus Christ and you're, gonna, you're persecuted for it. But God says, come on. 
come on, step out so that you can watch me step in. And as we do that, next point this morning on your outline is this. God gives us victory over our enemy. God gives us victory over our enemy. One of the best parts about this story is where's the battle? There is no battle. This, this, this enemy was conquered without a fight. That's how huge God is. That's how powerful and immense he is. He only has to speak or make a sound, and the enemy is on the run. You know, Jesus said, we have an enemy. He's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And just like the Syrian army blocked the supplies into Samaria, our enemy tries to block the supply of God into our lives. He tries to block our joy. He tries to block our peace. He tries to block our contentment. He tries to do those things. You know, this Thanksgiving, I woke up, and I'm going to just be honest with you. I wasn't too thankful. I, I, I had had a bad night's sleep. I had this cold that I was just getting over, and I was just kind of feeling like it was coming back. I had a searing pain in my right shoulder through the night, and that didn't help me sleep well. So I woke up just kind of, you know, just kind of in a funk. I, I was this kind of feeling of heaviness and sort of downcast, and I knew it was Thanksgiving, and so I felt guilty for that. But I recognized, you know what? This is a spiritual attack to try to hijack my joy. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever been there? And that's why Paul said, listen, you need to recognize this. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Let me tell you another story that happened right before this one in, in 2 Kings chapter 6. It's a story about the, the prophet Elisha. And the same king, the king of Syria, was doing his thing, creating problems, and, and the prophet Elijah would learn about this and know about this as he got the word from the Lord, and he would spoil the plans of the king, and the king was very upset with him. This was really taking him off. So he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to get this prophet. That was a dangerous profession, by the way, being a prophet. So these armies of the Syrian armies come down upon Elisha, and they got him cornered. They got him surrounded. And Elisha has a servant, and the servant is looking at all this and going, this is not good. This is, this is how it's going to end. He's freaking out. Elisha is calm, cool, collected, and he prays. He says, Lord, would you just open up the eyes of my servant so that he can really see? And God does. And the servant sees for the first time beyond the physical realm into the spiritual realm and sees that the hills are full of angels and horses and chariots of fire. The servant recognized that the armies of God way outnumber the armies of hell. And see, there's, there's two things going on there. One, the, the servant got a glimpse into there is another realm. It's called the spiritual realm. And second, that the armies of God are bigger and better and greater and they outnumber the armies of hell. And this morning, I want to encourage you. Paul said, hey, 
If God is for us, who can be against us? And I want to have a high view of God. I want to have a huge view of God. That He is bigger than I see Him right now. He's huge. And if He's for us, then who can be against us? And what I began to do for my Thanksgiving blues is I just, I knew what I needed to do. I needed to get out and get to some quiet time and I needed to drop to my knees and I needed to start to pray and meditate on Scripture. And, and I began to sing songs. People would think I'm probably absolutely nuts. I kind of am anyway. And I just began to feast on, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I began to feast on, God will supply my every need. And you know, all of a sudden, that burden, that heaviness, that downcastness, it left. And I was lighter. My spirit was lighter, and I was renewed. And I said, thank you, Jesus. You know, we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. We end our prayers very often with, in Jesus' name name. And you know, you see this, God has given us a sound that drives the devil away. It's the sound of the name of Jesus. And it's at that name, it's the devil hates that name because Jesus won the war and he's lifted the siege of sin and death in our lives. He's the victor. And you know what the devil is? This is a big theological statement. You get ready? He's a big fat loser. You tell him I said so. It's at the name of Jesus that our enemy will tear off running. We have victory in him. The last feeling this morning is this. I believe that God wants us to have a heart for the city. He wants us to have a heart for the city. You know, when the lepers discovered their treasure, you've got to think what that was like for them. Remember that they were in sheer terror. They were, they were going to their probably certain death and they go from that to this amazing wonder, shock, awe, probably unable to speak for a little while. You know, it was probably completely silent. And I kind of picture one of, the, one of the lepers maybe just breaking the long silence after a while. And they all started probably escalating their energy from there and dancing around and grabbing a giant turkey leg and waving it in the air. Pour me a glass of wine. Let me have some of that sweet potato casserole. Is that pumpkin pie? Is that the 12-foot pumpkin pie? I'll have some of that. Give me. They start to celebrate. I mean, this was, they hit the jackpot. Tents as far as the eye can see. In verse 8, chapter 7, it says, And they went into a tent, and they ate and they drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and, they, and then they went and hid them. Then they came back, and they entered another tent, and they carried off the things from it, and they went and they hid them. So they go tent to tent, eating, indulging, grabbing stuff, hiding it, and they do this for some time, and then it hits them. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're so much here and there is nothing there this is an answer way bigger than for four lepers and so it says in verse 9 they said to one another we're not doing right this is a day of good news and if we're silent and we wait until morning light punishment will overtake us now therefore come let us go and let us tell the king's 
household. And so the lepers do that. The lepers go and they tell the king. And after the king checks it out, he finds out their story's true. An entire city is saved with that provision. Did you hear what the lepers said? They said, we have good news. You know, the gospel means good news. In church, we have good news this morning. Amen? We have a spread that's meant for the city. It's why an angel of the Lord showed up to a group of shepherds one morning and said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And it's for all the people. And so as we push into 2016, I pray that we have a heart for the city. Listen, I know Google will tell you that Stockton is not the number one desirable place to live in the United States of America. But you know, we're not here on a cruise. We're here on a mission. And for those of us that have experienced his tents of mercy and grace and forgiveness and power, we can't keep silent. Because there is a famine in the land. And I pray, I would thank God for a church that is missionally minded. I pray that as we move forward as a church, as individuals, as families, that we'll have this huge view of God, that we won't see him small, but we'll see him as he is, a powerful God. As the servant saw, the armies of God are great, and that he is your great provider and he's your deliverer. And even as our feet begin to move out in faith, whatever that is for you, I don't know. But as your feet begin to move out in faith this week, this month, next year, that will stand against the enemy with confidence because Jesus has already won that war. And as we do, we won't forget to look to the city and see that there's people who are hungry and starving and will pull out a chair for them at the table of God. Because Psalm 107.9 says, For he, God, satisfies the thirsty, and he fills the hungry with good things. That's the table of God. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we, we come and we are in awe. We're awestruck at you, Lord. Lord, you are such an amazing, powerful God. How can we even use words to describe you? But Lord, we, we do our best. We thank you that you're the God of the impossible. That you make the impossible possible. We thank you that you're our great provider. And Lord, for those this morning that are going through stuff, there's some gaps and there's some lacks. Maybe they're experiencing some drought days in their life. God, would you come in like a mighty flood? And may we hold on to you, God, until you do. May we hold on to your truth and your promises. May we feast on your word and your goodness. Because God, you are coming through. And we worship you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you that our hope and our trust isn't in our country. It's not in our government. It's not in our leaders. We thank you for them and we pray for them. But our hope is in you and you alone, Lord.
If you don't show up, then there won't be that provision. But God, thank you that you do. Thank you, Jesus, that you said that I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry. So God, this morning, maybe there's some people here that haven't made that declaration yet, that Jesus is Lord of their life. And folks, it can be a simple, simple prayer of your heart. It can be now, it can be later. Just saying that, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry that I've hurt you and others. And I turn, I repent from those sins today. And I acknowledge that you are a huge and high God, the only true God. And I worship you and I give my life to you and I'll follow you. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, why don't you tell me or Pastor Brad or somebody here this morning, somebody that brought you, we'd love to talk to you and encourage you. God, for all of us, just to come to your table this morning, that's a table of bounty, it's a table of provision, it's a table that's going to meet every need we have. We thank you for your blessings and your provisions in our life. And may we have the faith to look forward, God, and say the Lord will provide. Hallelujah. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.